Welcome back to the White Coat Club. My name is Lindsay and I'm a counselor at Moon Prep. Today I have two of my fellow counselors here with me, Michaela and Nicole, and we're going to be talking about low SAT and ACT scores. And if you have a low SAT or ACT score, can you still apply to BSMD? So first, let's establish how low is too low. Um, so Michaela, what do you usually recommend for the SAT? Yeah, so, and again, this is for BSMDs, those direct medical programs and BSDO programs. Um, really, I like to suggest for my students that if they're going for BSMDs, they should be in the 1400s to be a very competitive candidate. Um, and then 1300s, if we're talking about a pathway program. Um, if they're gonna be going for BSDO programs, definitely the 1300s is a good base point to be looking at. What about for ACT, Nicole? Yeah, so similar in the sense that the MD is gonna be a touch higher than DO. So if you're taking the ACT for MD, um, really 30 would probably be the lowest that we've seen success with. And then if you're doing DO, um, kind of anything above a 26, more so around there would be um, a good point for you if you're looking for DO. And I just want to preface this conversation too by saying higher isn't going to mean better success always, of course, like a, a 34 versus a 35, obviously we're talking about low SAT or ACT scores, but just want to address this too, because some people will tell me, oh, I got a really bad ACT or SAT score and they got like a 34. Um, and they think that that means they have, you know, no chances at all. But I mean, you're in like the 98th, 99th percentile with your 34. There's a very small statistical difference between, you know, 34 and 35 or 1520 and a 1550. There is a much bigger difference and a lot more movement can happen with like, you know, slightly more right answers between a 1300 and like a 1340. So there, you know, it does make a big difference. And so you know, higher is, is always better, but there does come a point where it doesn't necessarily necessarily help you too much. Um, but yeah, there's always exceptions to every rules too, as I'm sure we'll talk about as the podcast goes on. Now, Michaela, can you detail us a little bit about the minimum requirements typically for BSMD and BSDO programs? Yeah, so in this ranges wildly between the different programs that are out there. So some of the very minimum scores, um, like purchase starts at a 1200. I think University of Toledo is maybe a 1350 around there. So even though, of course, these are the minimums, when we see successful applicants gaining um, acceptance to these programs, typically they are a lot higher. So the minimums typically um, just guarantee that you're gonna be looked at, your application will be looked at, but that doesn't mean that just because the minimum score at Drexel is a 1410, that doesn't mean that having a 1430 makes that a safety school for you by any means. Yeah, there's no safety in BSMD yeah. programs or BSDO programs. Right. Yeah, that's one thing too that I think parents sometimes forget about is like UMKC is a good example. I think their their SAT score is in like the eleven sixty, but their mm -hmm. average is like fourteen fifty or something like that. So just because you're meeting it doesn't mean you're actually going to be qualified. Um, and I know that there are some programs too that if you have like if the minimum score is twelve hundred, if you have an eleven ninety, obviously you're super close. 
-hmm. some programs they don't care you still get kind of chucked right into the bin yeah so meeting those minimums is still still really important I know I feel like I I walk into college list meetings all the time and see Case Western as a safety for the BSMDs. I'm like, oh no, no, no. That's like less than a 1% acceptance rate. Yeah. That's not or, a safety. Or even on the traditional side of things, like I've had a lot of parents who put like a Harvard as like a safety because they're, I'm making up numbers, but let's just say like their average GPA was like a 3.9 and their SAT score is like a 1500. And they're like, well, my kid's got a 4.0 and a 1600 on the SAT. So I'm higher than like the average accepted applicant. It's a safety. No, that acceptance rate's like 4%. Yeah. So it is a safety for no one. Nicole, what about super score? Do BSMD programs consider that? Um, yeah, for the most part you are able to, there are some that if you do send a super score, they do or either they don't accept super score at all, or if they do, they want to see the full score, like the full test for each test that you're using within the super score, but some do not uh, consider and, and want everything to be done in one sitting for either the SAT or the ACT for BSMD. Mm -hmm. I believe some of the Florida schools don't accept super mm -hmm. score. And then I want to say the New Jersey medical school programs also don't take super score. So no, there's a few in New York, I believe also that do yeah. not. So whenever you're looking, you can usually find it on the website or that could definitely be something that you email like the admissions officers about too. If like your super score is meeting the minimum, but your, you know, single sitting score doesn't, you could absolutely reach out and ask like if, if you're qualified, mm. especially if it's not clear on the website, look on the website first and then email. But UMKC and Brown, I believe, are good examples of ones that accept super scores. So we're going to clear there. Now, Test Optional definitely has had a rise in popularity over the last few years, especially kind of during the pandemic era. What about for BSMD or BSDO programs? Is that even an option for students? Yeah, so there's quite a few that have now that are now test optional for BSMD and direct medical programs. I know there's obviously a ton of more actual just universities that are test optional as a whole, but it's definitely not rule of thumb that if the school is test optional, that does not mean that the BSMD program will be, mm -hmm. but there are um, a handful of BSMD that are completely test optional for that program as well. Um, so Brown, Case Western, um, Massachusetts College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences, Penn State, Sophie Davis. There's a few more um, that are completely test optional, BSMD included. Do you guys think that there will be more programs this year that are going to be test optional? So hard to say. I feel like every time I make a prediction, I'm always wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a few of the programs that were test optional previously have been going away from that. So I, there could be honestly a mix of a few more going test optional for BSMD and a few others um, going back away from being test optional. Mm -hmm. It'll be kind of a, a toss up, a mix up. I can see that too. I can see some going and some taking away. Um, I think, you know, looking at the statistics and we know it's, there's a lot that goes into how they make these choices and how they make these decisions. I think if you have a BSMD program, your school, you're already getting a ton of applications already. So being test optional is not going to maybe drive more applicants, but then it, again, in some schools, it could drive more 
if they're going the test optional route. So I think if they're looking at their yield and it's, you know, the matriculation rate is, is good year after year and it's where they want it to be, going test optional could be a potential option if they're looking for more applicants. I also think, I know we've talked about this on another podcast with the SAT, or I'm sorry, ACT going um, virtual. Mm-hmm. I think that we could get a few more, maybe not this year, but potentially next year, um, who will, since it will be virtual, it's going to be kind of a whole new experience, maybe going test optional at that point to see mm-hmm. what happens. But yeah, it'll be interesting. And I know like a lot of traditional schools in general, like they had kind of deadlines of like how long they wanted to do their test optional plans. Like, mm-hmm. and then we're ending either this year or next year, or the following year, whatever it might be. And so it'll be kind of interesting to see on the traditional side of things too, kind of what happens. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Have you guys ever had test optional kids apply to BSMD? I have. I have not had the same success <clears throat> with test optional BSMD applicants than I have for students that had maybe like a 1350 or 1380 or something like that. And then we applied to programs that are more kind of in their range. I feel like I've had a couple students go completely test optional and we haven't had the same successful results. So when I have a student that is considering that, you know, um, I typically approach the college list with adding schools that are within the range of their SAT or ACT score, and then um, having them add a few test optional schools as well in for the BSMDs. Um, I've had students that were doing test optional get into UMich and some really top programs and then just not see the same success with BSMD. But I don't know, maybe Nicole, maybe you had different results. <laughs> um, Kind of the same as you. I've had students with low scores and I think it's just figuring out a list that makes sense for them. So I had a student a couple of years ago, super low, not super low, pretty low um, SAT as far as like direct medical acceptances go, mm-hmm. um, applied to a few test optional BSMD did not have success applied to, um, non-test optional programs for DO and did get success. And then also got success non-BSMD test optional schools, like just for traditional undergrad and had a lot of success there. So I think just making a list that kind of obviously aligns with the student's goals, but just Mm -hmm. makes sense. And you have a variety. So test optional where you can other schools that align with the score that you have, and then, you know, traditional route test optional if possible or, or not. And then really just making sure if you are going to submit a score to a school that's going to be competitive, you know, boosting up the rest of your application as much as possible. Yes. I will say that in my experience, you know, I do think that the, if you're, if you're really set on a direct medical pathway, um, I have really noticed that the BSDO programs are much more test optional friendly So if that is really where you're set and you want to do test optional, definitely consider adding a few more BSDOs to your list. Yeah. I also think it really depends on everything else and and academically everything else. So what your transcript looks like, what courses you took, what were your scores on those AP exams? Um, A lot of the time, if you're seeing a low score, it's, is this indicative of you as a student or is this kind of aligning with the rest of your academic profile? 
I think the ones that, you know, the test score is just really not where the student is academically. And that proves true on the transcript. Those students will have more success mm -hmm. than someone who is, you know, just not academically where they're looking to be. It's so important to remember that test scores are only one piece of the puzzle and mm -hmm. everything else matters so much. So if you have nothing on your resume and, you know, you have a lower score, then your college list needs to reflect that. And if you have a really strong resume and strong grades and transcripts and everything, but your test score is a little bit lower, then your college list can have a, you know, a few more direct medical programs on it then. I'd agree. I've only had two students who contest optional and one was kind of exactly what you guys are saying. You know, her resume wasn't very strong. Her test scores were okay. GPA was fine, but you know, nothing. And she was going test optional and didn't have any success. And then my other student did kind of have the whole package besides his like 1380 or something in mm -hmm. The SAT, so we ended up going test optional to one of the programs and did get did get accepted, but you know I think it it does depend on what the whole package looks like, besides the score. So Michaela, you kind of already mentioned it that one of the alternatives would be like a DL program if you have a lower SAT or ACT score. Are there any other ones you kind of suggest to your students? Yeah, some of the pathway programs are great to consider. Um, Toledo is one of them. It's just not a guaranteed seat in their medical school. Um, they have a lower SAT requirement. I believe it starts at a 1350. And I don't know if, I, I think I've, I've seen maybe some students get in that were either slightly lower or right over the top. So that is a very good kind of minimum to pay attention to for that particular program. But for these pathway programs like Toledo, they'll have other requirements to matriculate to the medical school. In Toledo's case, it only guarantees you an interview. Um, and so, but also there's other perks to these programs too. Toledo is a nice big school where you can have a full college experience. And if you do, get through the entire program, they do waive the MCAT as well. So there are um, other perks to pursuing these pathway programs. I'm trying to think if there are any other alternatives. I think pathways and DOs are kind of, mm -hmm. oh, I guess one other alternative too could be um, like an early assurance program. Mm -hmm. So an early assurance program will be something you apply to typically like in your second year of college. Um, sometimes they are paired up with like a certain undergrad. So for example, like Georgetown's got an early assurance program. You have to go to Georgetown to, you know, get accepted into the program and be eligible to apply to the program. But then there are some that you can be at any university. So like um, University of Florida has got like their medical um, program and that one you could go to any university. So that could be something to kind of consider when you're making your list, you know, if this is right for you and, you know, gives you kind of a second chance at mm -hmm. kind of like a um, seat in a medical school without having to go through the intensive process later on. Mm -hmm. Now let's kind of talk a little bit about the logistics of taking the test. Obviously for like our rising seniors, you're kind of running, running out of time quickly for the SAT, um, but for maybe our juniors or sophomores or younger, um, how many times should they be taking the test? I always 
recommend for my students to take it three times. Um, you don't have to take it three times, but I normally encourage about three times per test is kind of the, the maximum to be shooting for. Have you ever had kids do it more times? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they interfered um, with their chances. I don't know. I don't think I ever saw it really interfere with their chances. I will say if we're looking at taking it more than three times, the, the thing to focus on is to make sure that you are progressing your score. So if you are taking it more than three times and you are studying and studying and studying and your score is dropping, um, the schools, even though they are only going to be looking at the scores you send and your top scores and everything. When I was an admissions counselor at, you know, a, a big 10 university, I could still see the dates that students took the test additionally. So if they sent in a score that was their first one, and then I saw five other dates, I kind of know their score was probably dropping. So even though that might not be something that I, I in particular was, um, you know, um, paying attention to and really, you know, I wasn't docking students points on that. That doesn't mean that other admissions counselors won't be. Especially for BSMD too. So I always mm -hmm. tell kids, like, especially when you get to like the 15, like above the 1500s for your SAT, such a small window of like statistical difference. Like you could get four extra questions and you might not even go up that much. And every time too, the test is so different. Like you, it's not like a set number of questions you get right equals a certain score. The curve is always going to be different. And so when you get to like that 1530, I always tell kids, there's really no point yeah. in, in doing it again. Um, you're just fine. Mm -hmm. But yeah, if you're struggling to crack, you know, the 1400s or even the 1500s on your SAT or 32 to 34 on your ACT, you know, it does kind of make sense to maybe try it again. Mm -hmm. And just make sure that you're taking additional steps, you know, try hiring a tutor or going through a boot camp or do something different than the way you've been studying, shake things up and just kind of do what you can to ensure that your score rises in that last attempt. Yeah. Yes. I love it when kids don't study at all and think that there's something different is going to happen. Yeah. Um, the SAT takes work um, or ACT takes work. Like some kids are just naturally good test takers or, you know, have a strong math background or really strong readers or whatever it might be and do well. But a lot of kids do need to kind of learn the test. Mm -hmm. So if you are still struggling with it, that you should not only be just taking as many practices as you can, but also trying to learn from mistakes and reviewing those mistakes, which no one likes to do, but it's a really important process of the SAT or ACT prep. I've also had a few students who have gotten like a 35 or a 15. 80 and just want to keep taking it to see yeah. if get, like a perfect score. Um, and I usually don't recommend it, but we definitely, I've this year, last year, year before I've had students who I'm just going to do it one more time, just going to do it one more time just mm -hmm. to see. And at that point it's, you know, they're putting in so much effort because they really want that number. But I think just taking a step back, looking at the bigger picture, your, your main goal is getting accepted where you want to get accepted mm -hmm. to. So we can be taking this time that you're dedicating to perfecting this score, keeping the very high score that you already have and focusing your time on the application process, which is probably going to be a better use of that time. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Because 1580 will do that. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I have a student right now who's prepping to take it again in August, just because she wants to see if she can get the extra 20 points. Um, I said, we can be using how much time a week are you studying and focusing on this? We can be using that time to perfect your application. Um, so just yeah, be writing some phenomenal essays in that amount yeah. of time. So speaking of that, like when should students like, you know, first attempt the SAT or ACT? I usually say first attempt early junior year. So whether you're someone that starts school in August, that's great. Um, if you're in like more of the Northeast, you don't start till September, you know, you can, you can do that also. Um, but usually, you know, August, September, October for the first time, then usually again, a second time in like December, they're doing a really great job in the last couple of years of getting these scores out fast, you know, like years ago. And when, when we were doing it, probably, I know for me, it was like, I felt like you waited like eight to 12 weeks to get your scores back and it took forever. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's great that you're having a faster turnaround because you could take it twice really in the fall is usually what I recommend like early fall and then late fall. And then oftentimes your school, I know a lot of schools like in my region will offer the ACT at school in March. So sometimes that's kind of like their third test. They have to take it anyway at school. Um, it is a mandatory requirement in the state that I live in. And there's other states that you have to, even if you're absent that day, you have to make it up. Um, so usually that's kind of like a third attempt for those kids. Ideally, um, having like that last score by spring, I usually try to get students to be done taking tests before AP testing starts, just because it's a whole another round of tests that they have to take. But we do, I've had students take it, are still continuing to test into the summer um, and through the summer for um, BSMD, but usually that's not my recommendation. Yeah, another reason why I like the early junior year too is because they'll be taking like the PSAT in, what was it, October or so? And mm -hmm. so the tests are so similar between SAT, ACT, even in PSAT. And so the, the doing well in the PSAT could mean that you could qualify for national merit um, mm -hmm. scholarships and get half rides, full rides, even, even if it's just a couple thousand dollars, still a couple thousand dollars just to take a test. So um, that's why I always tell kids like, you know, you're studying PSAT, but actually, you know, this has multiple, multiple benefits to you. And you could, could do really well on the PSAT then as well. We kind of already alluded to this, but when is like the absolute last time you should take the SAT or ACT? Really, again, ideally you'd be wrapped up by spring. Um, that would be before your senior year. So spring of your junior year. And I would really say the absolute last time would be August. So after August, you know, you're getting into your school year, you're um, finishing up those really important essays on top of your homework and adding studying for the SAT or ACT on top of that is really too much. It's too much. Your score will likely suffer. So I would say August for the SAT is really the absolute final um, July. For the ACT, I would say absolutely not beyond the September ACT. Last year, I had multiple students trying to take the October tests, and I don't know if one of them increased their score because of just all the things on their plate they were juggling. Yeah, I have a few students right now who just got their June scores back, and they're having mm -hmm. conversations of, I think I'm going to sign up again, and mm -hmm. I think like you just said, it, it's not maybe the best use of your time. You know, if you're, 
Yeah. If are what are you looking at? I, everyone has a different profile, obviously. So if we're talking about, you know, you got a 28 and you're you're still trying to get to that 33, um, probably an unrealistic goal to now happen for your fourth attempt at taking it in another, you know, two months. Whereas if you're already sitting at a 32 and you're just hoping for that 34, you know, maybe we can just adjust your application strategy and, you know, maybe some schools on your list, do some editing there and get kind of to the same goal just without having to take that test again. So I think it just really depends on the student too, but I think these hard deadlines are definitely important, but it could just depend on the kid. Yeah. And some programs won't consider the October test date even, um, and definitely not beyond that. Like if you take it in December, even if you haven't been like rejected from the program, they don't care. Like it's too late now. So, um, that's one thing to look at too, is like, when's the latest you can take it and still be qualified for PSMD. And then if you're going traditional, of course you could be taking it later, but then it's just like adding on that stress. Um, I always say like the SAT and ACT is almost like more of like a mind game. They're asking you easy things kind of in hard ways. And so if you put all this pressure on yourself too, about like this last attempt to get my, whatever score I'm looking for, you tend to do worse just because of that external pressure that you put on yourself or your family's put on yourself or, you know, your counselor, whoever it is. And so by starting early, that stress, I think is a little bit more manageable, but you know, it still is always going to be there, but then you definitely have more cracks at it and you have more time to be able to manage it and have time to do like what Michaela was talking about, hire a tutor, you know, take more time to prep if you start early. And all of this timeline is for a direct medical timeline where we know the majority of the deadlines, not the majority, but a, a giant chunk of your deadlines are going to be November 1st. So if you are listening to this and it's, you know, you're thinking about doing a traditional path, going pre-med or a different major, and a lot of your deadlines are in January, then the, you know, the timeline's a little bit, it can be a little bit different, but um, this is for the majority of our students have deadlines, big deadlines on November 1st. Yeah. And there's exceptions to every rule too. As we talk about, like pretty much in every podcast, there's always exceptions to things. Mm-hmm. So just because what we said here, it doesn't mean that it's universally the truth. Each program is going to be different. Each requirement is going to be different. Um, each year is going to be different too. So yeah. take everything we say with a grain of salt and do your own research into each program as well. Thanks for joining us today for this week's episode of White Coat Club. Don't forget to like and subscribe to get more great content regarding BSMD and med school admissions.